0: Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you. We just bless you. We praise you. We glorify you, Lord. We thank you for the good works that you have done. And we thank you for how you have led us through all these years, all these months, O oh Lord. We want to commit tonight's session to you as always. Holy Spirit, will you be with me and be with all listening in, whether here or whether on SoundCloud. We just pray that your word will go forth, accomplish its purpose, and not return to your void. We thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. You know, many times when we talk about the kingdom, we talk about advancing the kingdom of God. And when we say we want to advance the kingdom, we want to take ground. Have you ever wondered what it would look like when that is achieved? Can you imagine with me, you know? What would it look like if everyone, the whole world, the entire world, everyone was Christian? Sounds good, right? How wonderful that would be. It's so much easier, so much cleaner well, I've got news for you. It's not going to happen. That's what we hope for. That's what we wish for. That's what we pray for. But that's not what we will get. And I'll add the next phrase, in this present age. It's not because I'm a pessimist or that I do not have faith. But as we will see from tonight's parable, the kingdom of God does not operate that way. If you have been following us in Kingdom 101, we are presently in this kingdom mini-series where Jesus shares a few parables, little stories to describe, to explain what I call the kingdom operating system, the kingdom OS. He gives us a hint, a clue, of how the kingdom actually moves and how it operates. He calls it the mysteries of the kingdom. But thankfully, these mysteries are now kingdom-open secrets, revealed to all who have the right hearts to receive it, the right eyes to see it, and the right ears to hear it. And as we have discovered in the parable of the sower, or the soils, sadly, not everyone will get it. That was the first parable he told. And so in the second parable, he goes on in Matthew chapter 13. And that's what we're going to cover this session, from verses 24 to 30 and onwards. And another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No. Lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Second parable in Matthew chapter 13. And once again, the parable involves sower and seeds. Similar elements. However, and I must quickly state this, the focus and the interpretation is totally different. Thankfully, the disciples came to Him after that, and Jesus explained the parable very plainly and very clearly. And you will see this explanation in verses 36 to 43, and I'll read this for you. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and His disciples came to Him, saying, "'Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field.'" He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemies who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age." The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth, and then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Aren't you glad Jesus explained the parable? I wish He would do the same for all the parables. It makes the teaching a lot easier, right? And we can finish much earlier also. But here are the main points once again, in case you missed it. And I want to share this with you because I want you to note the similarities and the differences between the two parables. The first one and the second one, same elements, but I told you the focus is a little bit different. You see, in this present parable, we are told who the sower is. It's the son of man. But in the first parable of soil and soils, it's not mentioned. It's just someone who declares the word of the kingdom. It could be Jesus, it could be the Son of Man, but it could be anyone else also. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. But in the first parable, the seed was the word of the kingdom. Can you see the difference here? The field, as we understand, is the world. But in the first parable, the soil actually refers to the heart condition. And I would believe then that the field will be people of the kingdom that the word is actually being declared to. Then in this parable, there's another sower. And we know that this sower is the devil. He sows the tares who are the sons of the wicked one. Then there's this thing called the harvest, which refers to the end of the age. But in the first parable of the sower, the harvest refers to fruit that is brought to maturity, some 30, 60, and 100 fold. See, I'm pointing this out because it's so easy to read the parables and think they're actually talking about the same thing. They are related, but they're a little bit different. In this parable, there are reapers, and we know that these are the angels. Now that you can see the components a little bit more clearly, With parables, thankfully, it's not meant to be complicated, and it shouldn't be difficult to understand also. But as we have also discovered, sometimes it is easy to miss the main point. And so let's learn together. Let me share with you the very first thing. The first point is about being scattered. He who sows the good seed is the son of man. Matthew chapter 13, verse 37, Jesus explains the kingdom of heaven is like someone who sows this good seed in his field, and he says, You know who this sower is? Me. The sower sows the good seed in the field. Jesus will sow and scatter and send out the good seeds. Who are the good seeds? The sons of the kingdom. He scatters the sons of the kingdoms into the field. And the field is the entire world, not the church. It's all too easy to read this parable and think that it is only sown inside the church. No, Jesus says the seeds are sown into the world. The implication is quite straightforward if you ask me, and I hope you don't miss it. Every son and daughter of the kingdom will be sent by Jesus into the world. If you want to say amen quietly in your heart, you may do so. Everyone is expected to be sent out, scattered out by the soul who is a son of man. If you are a son and a daughter of a kingdom, get ready. You are going to be scattered. And this is consistent with Matthew chapter 10, which we've already gone through. Jesus sends team Jesus, 12 disciples, into where? The world. And this was in answer to his own prayer where he says the harvest is plentiful, labors are few, pray the Lord will harvest, to send out laborers. And what's send out in the Greek is really to cast out, to throw out, to push out. Can I add, to kick out. Jesus scatters the sons and daughters of the kingdom. This is consistent. He's not saying anything new. You may have seen this little picture before. It describes the church that gathers, the people of God that comes together and they gather. It's called the gathered church. But after the church gathers, it doesn't stay as a gathered church. It should become the scattered church. So we are gathering to be what? To be scattered. The arrows that come in after a while becomes arrows that send us out. Jesus, at the end of the book of Matthew, He says, Go and make disciples. Go. And I always tease leaders in the church. We say we preach go, but when we want to go, we hold. Because we like them together, you see. But here the parable says a sower soul scatters the seeds. The seeds are the sons and the daughters of, of the kingdom and it's going to be sown out there in the world. In the language of Archippus' awakening, every Archippus, every person, if you are a son and a daughter of a kingdom, you have a kingdom assignment. And the Lord has given this to you so that you may know it, that you may fulfill it. Now where do you fulfill it? Out there in the world. In your areas of operation, we move from AA, which is assembly area, and we are to be kicked out, pushed out, sent out, scattered out into the areas of operation. You can call it the spheres, the mountains, the gates. I don't care what you call it. You are scattered. First point of this parable is so clear. The sower sows the seed. If you know Jesus, get ready. He's going to send you out. He's going to scatter you. As the seeds get out there, we are told in the parable that the grain sprouted and produced a crop. Oh, I love this one line. Don't miss this. The children of the kingdom, once they are sown out there, they are expected to sprout and produce a crop. And in another phrase, you are expected to be faithful and fruitful. Wherever you go, out there in the field, make sure you sprout and you produce a crop. Now, what that means all depends on what your assignment is and what you are called exactly to do. You are called to be faithful to the task, but you're also called to be fruitful in all you do. Consistent with Matthew? Yes. John the Baptist, right in the beginning, Matthew chapter 3, he calls the leaders to account. He calls the people of Israel to account. He says, come on guys, the axe is laid at the root of the trees now. You guys need to bear fruit worthy of repentance. If you have repented and you understand that fruit is what is to be expected. But as the grain sprouted and produced a crop, we are told then the tares also appeared. Guess what? You're not the only fruitful ones. The tares appeared and also sprouted and produced a crop. The countermeasures of the enemy are deceptively fruitful and equally productive. You've got to understand this. You've got to know this. Because you want to know how the kingdom operates in this kind of a setting. Point number one, there's a scattering. And you and I have to embrace it and get ready for it. Point number two, sons of the kingdom. Who are the sons of the kingdom? I used to think it was a certain group of people. I thought as long as you're Christian, you know we can call ourselves sons of the kingdom. But as I went through this parable once more, something challenged me and provoked me. And I'm going to say it, it might even shock you, this one phrase. I say that the people of God may not necessarily be the sons of the kingdom. I know it sounds crazy, right? It might even jolt you, Say, "Ayo." Like, yo, heresy. I'm going out now. The people of God may not be the sons of the kingdom. You can be a member of the church, but you may not show yourself faithful as a son of the kingdom. Do you remember this guy back in Matthew chapter 8? This centurion. A centurion that, that encounters Jesus, and there was this wonderful healing miracle, and at the end, Jesus declares of this guy, he said, whoa, I've never seen such great faith. But he goes on and he says, But I say to you, many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, remember, as we go through the book of Matthew, I've said this many, many times. The gospel of Matthew was written to the people of God. They were written to kingdom people, reminding them and telling them, Jesus is the king. You want to understand the kingdom? You've got to accept Jesus, believe in Jesus, live for Jesus, serve Him in a way that is correct. And so when there's a phrase, sons of the kingdom, it's referring to the people of God in that day. And yet Jesus looked at them and said, your sons are really are." You look at this Gentile who's not considered even a son of the kingdom. Look at his faith. Look at the way he lives. Look at the way that he conducts himself. You're not careful? If you don't live and turn around in the same way, those supposed sons of the kingdom might one day be cast out into outer darkness. You think you're privileged. You think you're okay. But you need to check your faith. All faith, I believe, so I'm, am son, look, is it okay just to believe? After all, the centurion had great faith, and Jesus commended him. You know what great faith translates into? Great faith translates into knowing who your authority is, where your authority is, a switch of alliance to who the king of kings is, and an acceptance of assignments to serve the king. If you say you really believe, then the works of the kingdom will begin to follow out of that. Who are the sons of the kingdom? Maybe in the simplest definition, the sons of the kingdom are those who hear, understand, obey, grow into and reveal the characteristics of the kingdom. Does this sound familiar? Hearing, understanding, obeying. Do you realize we met some of these in the first parable? These were the guys with the good soil. They heard the word, they understood the word, they obeyed the word, and they lived that word. These are the ones who grew up and bore fruit to maturity. These are the ones who had a heart for the kingdom, and not everyone has a heart of the kingdom. Some will hear it, don't understand it, and the seed gets snatched away. Some will hear it and get excited for a while, and then nothing comes out of that. Some will hear it and say, Well, wow, this is really good, you know, and then they get distracted, and they bear a little bit, something sprouts, nothing happens after that. But the fourth soil, you understand, they have a heart of the kingdom, and they begin to grow unto maturity. I don't know about you, but I think these might be the ones Jesus begins to send out. Because these are sons of the kingdom. If you look at an account in John, the book of John, Jesus says certain things there that can be, quite uncomfortable to listen to he calls the people of the kingdom i.e. the children of Israel and the Jews he says you are sons of the wicked one now if you are one of the Jews in those days I think you will be very offended just like today we are all church people and I say you might not be a son daughter of the kingdom you might be very offended with me Jesus says look you know why your sons are the wicked one because you do the deeds of your father You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. Go back and read John chapter 8. And just in case you think these were the Jews that did not believe in Jesus, read again in chapter 8 verses 30 and 31. It starts with the descriptor, these were the Jews who believed in Him. Believing in Jesus is your first start point. But as you believe, you begin to come into an understanding of the kingdom, your faith is now evidenced by works. It's got to come forth. And in the words of Jesus, the sons of the kingdom will do the works of the kingdom, and the sons will do the works of the Father. That's what's expected of sons. In the same passage in John chapter 8, he told the Jews, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham, but you don't. In fact, you do the other one. That's why you're called sons of the devil. Jesus is the Son of God himself. He knows how to do the work of the Father. He understands what it means to run the Father's business. If we understand that, then similarly, the sons of the kingdom will do the works of the kingdom. Now, if you're not moving on the works of the kingdom, then you've got to ask yourself where am I right now as a son? I've been given the spirit of adoption. I call Abba Father. You're a good, good father. I sing very loud. Am I doing the works of the Father? Am I understanding the works of the kingdom? Am I a part of the Father's business? If not, then what's the faith for? What is it evidenced by? See, these are important things for us to consider. And let me clarify, okay? You don't work to become sons, huh? There's no one here that can work and say, I work so I can become a son or I can work to become a daughter. You believe by faith. You are given the spirit of adoption by whom we call Abba Father. I want to be very clear about that. We do not work to become sons, but we are sons, and that's why we know what it means to work for the Father. Don't get it upside down, please. Otherwise, bad, bad understanding, okay? Okay. So, point number one, we are all going to be scared of if you are sons. Point number two, I clarify for you what does it mean to be a son of the kingdom or a daughter of the kingdom? Point number three is the title of tonight's teaching Side by Side. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his ways. The wheat will come up, and the tares will come up, and they will be there side by side. Surprise! You're not alone. Surprise, there's someone else. And I like the parable, right? Jesus is a great storyteller. The people ask the owner, Hey, how come God tears, huh? I reflect on this, and it really sounds like a question a young, naive Christian would ask. How come we still got so much evil in the world, huh? How, how, how come if God is so good, then how come there's still evil down there? And then He's not very powerful, eh? How come Christians also can be like that one, huh? We ask these kind of questions, right? And it's because we don't understand the kingdom operating system. We presume that just because we are Christians and because God is powerful and He is, everything at the snap of a finger, everything's going to be okay. Surprise, you're not alone. Jesus provides the answer here. There's an enemy, in case you don't remember, and he's sneaky. When you don't see it, he sows these tears. When you don't even expect it, it's, it, he puts it there, and he has sons. And these sons are ready to do his work. The question is, if you are a son and a daughter, are you ready to do the father's work? The wheat and the tares would grow, and they look about the same, but they are different. But when they start to grow first, they, they look about similar. You can't tell it apart in the beginning the difference will not become apparent until later. Much, much later. And then the grains will come up and then you will start to see that there's a difference. But by then, it might be a little bit too late. So can you see how sneaky the enemy is? In the beginning, everything looks okay. Everything looks the same. Now think about what's happening in the world today, all around us. Is it not true that a lot of causes... A lot of good things that are happening in the world, very good programs that are out there, they look very similar and sound very similar to Christian things. Right? All the, all the things that they're trying to do, the rights movement, social causes, they look quite good. They sound quite nice. They, they, they sound correct. They look like what Christians desire to do. Uh, look at the screen, for example. It's all about saving the world, right? Saving the planet. Save the frogs save the bees save the sea right because if you don't save the sea then you can't then you have to save the dolphins and you get to save the mermaids save the animals save the dinosaurs i don't know how but save the dinosaurs and because the focus is too much on the animals now the little panda now says save the baby humans and this is a little bit about the pro life movement right to say let's care for the little babies not only that, good causes, let's end poverty. Huh? Uh, let's have equality, gender equality. Love wins. Everyone has a right to love. Sounds good? Sounds correct? Use the same word some more. So it all sounds the same. It all looks the same. Human rights. Do we have human rights? Do you know human rights is a Christian concept? You talk about human rights because we're all made in the image of God. But human rights has gone so much to the extreme that it's gone human crazy. Human rights, is, it's actually quite wrong now in the way that they understand it. Uh, save the vinyl. Those of you who are older will understand what the vinyl is. I found this T-shirt one is quite nice. Because at the end, we have to save the clowns. So can you see the movements? They all start out sounding good. All sounding good. And you get caught in it and everything looks the same. Is it not true also that many religions teach about the same like morals? In fact, whether you believe in a religion or not, atheists or humanists today, they can be nicer than some believers that we know. Right? They can be kinder and much nicer. In fact, we can learn something from them too. See, we can use the same words, but we can mean totally different things in the end, it is still wheat and tares. And it's all around us, all around us. Even in the church today, you know there are wheat and tares. Do you know which one is the sheep and which one is the wolf now? I'm not presuming. They may look that to you, but maybe it's not. It can be very, very deceptive. So we have different doctrines now. You've got different types of gospels. Some are very attractive, right? You've got the prosperity gospel. Uh, some will be very religious, so it pushes to legalism. This cannot do, that cannot do. Um, many people have been hurt by that. Then you swing to the other extreme. Everything is also grace, so it's hyper-grace. Huh? And then you swing to the other extreme. Everything is faith, just belief can, so it's called hyper-faith. Uh, or you swing to the other one, positive thinking. Just positive can already. As long as you're positive, huh, it's okay. Uh, New Age. Christianity, New Age, sometimes it's very hard to tell the difference now. He has already come into the church the the way the teachings have come in. False prophets, false apostles. See, Jesus is just saying the same things in a parable. It's going to be side by side. And at first, whatever they teach sounds nice. Some people hear something new. Wow, revelation. Revelation, revelation, revelation. 30 years later, you find that the revelation has led people astray somewhere else. So what's the problem? We can't discern wheat and tares. And by the time it happens, a lot of problems will come out down the road. But it's side by side. So how do we weed out the weeds? See, our natural instinct is to say Yes. Every gardener will want to do that, right? We must pull out the weeds, you know, so that the, the real ones can grow. Our natural instinct is to, let's remove this other religion. If I see this, I'll come against it. If I see ideology, I'll push it out. When we see them thrive, we get worried. It's like, oh dear, you know, we're losing now. We get panicky. We have to push back the darkness. Have you heard of all that? That's how Christians talk, right? I mean, there's some merit in that. So we will say, yes, let's pull out the weeds. But Jesus says, no. Are you shocked? Jesus says, no. We say, no, no, hang on. Don't let them stifle our growth. But Jesus actually says, no. Let them grow together. See, our presumption is that the enemy camp grows and flourishes means we are losing. Then we will shrivel and we will die. In this parable, our Lord is saying that's not how the kingdom operates. You can actually grow together. If they can grow, so can we. Don't you ever forget that. You see, many times we think, oh, they are growing means that we are losing. You are not. If you are growing, you better be growing. Just because you are not growing, don't blame someone else who is growing. What makes it dangerous to separate is that the root systems of both the wheat and the tares have become too closely intertwined and infused. So the Lord says, if you remove the tares, you will uproot the wheat. You will hurt the wheat. Listen to this. The enemy or the tares are not removed for the good of the wheat. This is a surprising thing. The tares are not removed for our good. The enemy thinks he's working against us, but God is using everything he's doing to work for us and to grow us. This is how the kingdom operates. If you understand this, then you know how to posture and how to make the best out of this whole situation. The Lord says, let them both grow together. We are the ones saying, no, 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 we cannot coexist. Jesus says, it's okay. Coexist side by side. Huh? You sure not. Which Bible are you reading? Matthew chapter 13. The Lord said, let them grow what? Together. Side by side. The kingdom operates side by side with all the fakes and all the alternatives and it is fine because the truth knows what is the truth. We just need to learn how to discern which is the right one and which is the wrong one. The Lord is actually saying it's cool, it's all right but growing side by side does not mean this. Please take this down carefully. It does not mean we become like them. It does not mean that we embrace their messages and their methodologies. Please do not get the wrong idea. The world is trying to tell us, let's do side by side. Let's pray together. Let's have all these interfaith activities together. Because at the end, we're all praying to the same God. That's a tear speaking. Do you understand? It's okay for them to grow up and we grow up side by side, but I will not participate in the things that they stand for. It is not a universalism, all religions are the same. No, it doesn't say that. They are wheat and they are tares. It's very clear. So please do not get the wrong message. The sons of the kingdom are expected to hold their own in the presence of the sons of the wicked one. We must discern and we must choose. At the same time, the sons of the kingdom are expected to be, what? Faithful and fruitful. So that we keep growing, we keep maturing, and we keep producing a crop. Notice Jesus didn't say, and the wheat ate the tares. Jesus didn't say the wheat went up there and bashed the tares but we are called to stay awake, stay alert, stay focused, don't be distracted, don't be derailed by what you have been assigned to. Can you understand why the cry of our keeper's awakening is so urgent? We are missing out because we are not awake, we are not aligned, and many are not assigned. We listen to this parable and we go, I believe what? I church member what? I sons of the kingdom. Without these challenges around you know what the church is going to become complacent and fall asleep in fact it's already happened so we embrace anything and everything but that's where the test is isn't it the lord leaves it there not to give us problems but in that challenge we learn to grow i was talking to someone today and he he said wow we are actually very blessed uh." but in that blessing uh, somehow uh, has become a curse When things are too good, our God comes down. Jesus is saying, there's still an enemy out there and it's side by side. You better know which one you belong to. And so we need to take heed. Take heed, take heed. Love the blessings, heed the warnings. He who has ears, let him hear. Side by side. But let me give you a word of encouragement. Notice the servants went to the master. And he said, how come there are these in your field? That word your field, the word your is very critical, you know. Whose field is it? It's still the master's field, right? It's still my father's will, yes or no? Jesus still in charge, yes? He's not panicking. This is still his world. It may be under sway of the evil one, but it still belongs to God. They are coming onto our turf. They better understand what it means. If you want to play into my our turf, Who is going to have the final say? God's going to have the final say. So you need to know how the kingdom operates. You're not losing if you know which side you're on. And this will go on, this side by side, until the end of the age. Point number four, separation. There will be, you can bet your last dollar because Jesus says there will be. There will be a separation, just not now. He tells you it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come and they will separate the sons from the sons. What characterizes the sons of the wicked one? We read it just now, that he will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. What are these things? We don't have time to unpack this in this teaching but this will help us understand what the sons of the wicked ones will do. It's not going to be a beautiful picture, but against this backdrop, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached. The same two characteristics Jesus mentions in Matthew chapter 24, in the sermon, the Olivet Discourse. Many will be offended. Offense will be the norm. And we're seeing that more and more. And lawlessness will abound. But against this backdrop, that's where the good news of the kingdom will be declared. But who's going to declare it? The sons of the kingdom. That's our job, right? That's what we should be doing, the sons of the kingdom. So at the end of the day, there will be two categories, there will be two outcomes. You are either burned or burned. You either get pulled into the barn, brought into the barn. That's the wheat. And I believe that's a picture of going into God's eternal presence. Or if your sons are the wicked ones, then you'll be burned. And it talks about the furnace of fire, wailing and gnashing of teeth. So at the end, there are only two consequences. You're either burned or you're burned. So Jesus talks about this separation. It's a very consistent theme throughout the entire Matthew and the Scriptures. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 12, John already prophesied that there's going to be one coming after him, pointing to Jesus. It says, his winnowing fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor, listen, and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And there are many other parts where he talks about separation. uh, Narrow way, broad way. Separation after that. Um, I never knew you. Separation. There will be the good and the bad a few parables after this where the dragnet pulls everything in, good and bad, separation. There will be the wise and the foolish virgins, separation. There will be the faithful servants and the unprofitable servants, separation. There will be goats and there will be sheep, separation. Can you see? It's a very, very consistent theme. You say, oh no, 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 but we are New Testament. This one before the cross one, are you sure? You read Hebrews. Hebrews. Hebrews is also written to the believers and it gives great assurance of our great salvation. But at the same time, it warns against lawlessness and willful sinning. So are you assured of your salvation? Yes. But if you are assured, then why should we be warned about lawlessness and willful sinning? Right? Because if you are not careful, it says that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Say, so don't need to fear. What? Perfect love casts out fear. I got Google Father. You have to love the blessings and you have to heed the, the warnings. You're there for a reason. Don't believe? Read all the way through to Revelations. Seven letters to seven churches. At the end, always, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Is Jesus consistent? I think so. And then in Matthew chapter 13, verse 43, and then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Hallelujah. Suns shine like the sun. The righteous, I believe, to be consistent in the context, Jesus then will be referring to the sons of the kingdom. The sons of the kingdom will be the righteous ones. What's our start point, friends? Our start point is the gift of righteousness. That when we believe, it's accounted to us as righteousness. It's imputed upon us. This position of righteousness with God in Christ then brings us into kingdom alignment, which in turn qualifies us and enables us for the kingdom assignments in the world. So when you get out there and you're scattered out there, you're scattered as righteous people in Christ, yes? And as you're moving out there, kingdom assignments, these are works of righteousness. Whenever you declare the gospel of the kingdom, it's always the righteousness of the kingdom because He's a good king and He's got a great kingdom. But as you do that, you must have practiced righteousness in your own lives. In 1 John 3 verse 7, it says that he who works righteousness is righteous. You have to live out that righteousness. Not only that, in Hebrews chapter 12 11, it says then you will bear the fruit of righteousness, see, produce a crop, and then you display the works of righteousness, so that at the end, in Revelation chapter nineteen, verse eight, it says that these saints will be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. What are these? These are the righteous works. It's defined for us: the works that we do clothes us. You see, we're first clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, but as we move out into righteous acts and and the works of righteousness, these in turn clothe us as the bride of Christ because we will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the glorious church. Paul says, don't you understand this? It's a mystery. I'm talking about Jesus and the church. He's coming for a radiant and a glorious bride. How's that going to happen? You bring Revelations and Ephesians together. We who have been made righteous live righteous and work out righteousness as sons of the kingdom. But let me say one thing. It's one thing to be righteous in the church. You know, it's quite easy to be righteous people inside the church. Just about two weeks ago, I was driving along Thompson Road and if you know Upper Thompson Road, you you know there's this stretch called the speed camera zone and they tell you, you know, you're entering this zone. Now, if you're a driver, you know what your instinct is, right? The moment you see that sign, what do you do? You slow down. You check your speed and you see whether you are within the zone, yeah? Why? Because you know someone's watching, you see. So that day I was driving through it and I was laughing to myself. I say, okay, I'm guilty. I, I check my speed and we're in church, and we know how to talk Christian, eh? do all the right thing, eh? and it'll be very good, you know, come here too, hallelujah, praise the Lord. We know how to do the Christian thing and say the Christian thing. And we can be very righteous, and we can be super righteous, especially when the pastor steps in. (laughs) So there I was laughing to myself as as I was driving, and I looked in my my side view mirror, and I saw the traffic police riding behind, just going to pass me. I went even slower. It's easy to be in better commas righteous in the church. It's totally another to stand for righteousness in the world. That's where you and I are scattered. That's where we should be shining in righteousness. You're amongst the tears, all these things are happening. You are stand for righteousness. You think that if you are right, everyone's gonna love you. I've got surprises for you. Be prepared for the possibility of opposition and even persecution. And it can be of varying degrees, but the most extreme, of course, they can kill you. You just stand for Jesus, they can kill you. And that's why the words of Jesus bring great assurance and comfort. Right in the beginning, Matthew 5, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. One of Paul's major themes was suffering. But he always says, even as we suffer with Him, so we will be glorified with Him. And I believe this one line that talks about the righteous will shine forth is that point of glorification when we finally are there with the Lord. At that point in time, Jesus will shine, definitely. And His saints will shine with Him, like the sun. And there's no more need for any more sun. That's why it's like the sun. The suns will shine together with the Son of God. Five points for the parable that I think we're very familiar with. But I pray that this would have helped us understand it a little bit better. You know, if you're a typical church person, this perspective might have shocked you. It's easier to read this, you know, and uh, do the church versus the world thing. You know, it's us versus them. Uh, Believer versus non-believer. Easier to just read like that. Safer, la. But once we understand who the sons are, what's expected, I think there's a different twist to it. Then we understand, as the things are out there side by side, how do we continue to grow and how do we advance the kingdom of God? So as we close, I say again, the, the mysteries of the kingdom are revealed to those with a heart for the kingdom. Scattered, are you, are you fulfilling your assignments in your EO? I like to think you're in your AO, but whether you know your assignment or not is a totally different matter. Sons of the kingdom, sons do the works of the Father and His kingdom. So can I urge you, know your assignments, fulfill your kingdom assignments. Side by side, stop hoping for the evil to go away. You're praying against something that Jesus has said will not happen. Don't be distracted. Don't be deceived. Don't scare. It's still God's field. Fulfill your assignments. Fourth point: separation. Definitely will happen, guaranteed. But only at the end of the age. In the meantime, fulfill your assignments. And last but not least, what a glorious promise! May we all be sons and daughters. The righteous ones that will shine forth in the kingdom of our Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Come, let's pray. Lord, as always, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for hearts that are open, hearts that are ready, Lord, to receive, hearts that are also willing to align and realign and even de align if they have to to the things of the kingdom so that we can be found faithful and be fruitful for You. Lord, I pray that You enable us by Holy Spirit, that You strengthen us, because we know when we are side by side with the tears, it's not always easy. And so, Lord, will You hold us steady, we who are to be Your sons, who are already Your sons and Your daughters, if we have the right hearts, scattered sown, may we be found faithful and fruitful at the day of Your coming. And so we stand for that promise, knowing that you will lead us, you will guide us, and you will meet us once more, Lord. And we look to that. We bless you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.